Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast, and you're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Listeners may remember that we started out 2023 with a shipping markets outlook with Maritime Strategies International. As we are now past the halfway point in the year, we thought it would be a good time to refresh that outlook for the second half of 2023. You will be hearing from Adam Kent, Daniel Richards, Plamen Natskov, and Tim Smith from MSI. You're going to be learning about four specific sectors on the outlooks for those, and that's the container ship market, dry bulk shipping, tankers, and shipbuilding. But before we drill down into those specific segments, I'd like to turn to Adam for a broad overview. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Marcus, and thank you for having us back. It's uh, great to have you all back for this. I'm really looking forward to your insights. Yes, Adam, perhaps if you could just give us a brief, broad overview of where you see shipping markets as a sort of macro hole headed for the second half of this year. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, if we sort of reflect back a bit, I think sort of the first half of this year started uh, very similarly to the end of last year with the, the wet sectors outperforming the dry sectors. The one thing I would say is that uh, a lot of the froth, I would say, has come off the wet markets over the course of the last few months, and uh, earnings there have fallen from their recent peaks. The global economy, more broadly, uh, we think has performed better than we'd expected, but we are still anticipating a slowdown as we move into the second half of 2023 and into 2024, and we are still anticipating the US and the Eurozone entering a mild recession at the back end of this year. A lot of that sort of recent buoyancy in the global economy, however, has been driven by the service sector, uh, with demand for sort of manufactured goods relatively weak. And of course, that hasn't been as beneficial to shipping as if we'd have seen a lot more investment in manufactured goods and things like infrastructure. And we've seen the commodity prices uh, fallen back to sort of the realms of historical averages with a lot of the volatility taken out of those prices and some of those arbitrage windows have now closed. So that, that again, has been something of a negative towards sort of headline demand. We, like all analysts, have been keeping a close eye on China. The real estate market there has continued to perform quite weakly and I'm sure Plarman, when we talk about dry bulk, will go into a little bit more detail about China. Uh, Stimulus packages, you know, we've all been weighted with bated breath on how they are going to be developing. They seem to be quite small and quite localised currently. We haven't seen the sort of shot in the arm to the industry that we thought that we might see uh, at the start of the year as China came out of their sort of zero COVID lockdown. But overall, I guess we're, we're, getting, we're forecasting global GDP of around 2% year-on-year growth this year. Seaborne cargo growth at similar levels, around 2% in 2023. This compares with around 0.6% last year. So it is up year-on-year. But the shipping markets, as ever, have proven quite resilient. There's obviously a lot of support on the tanker side and the dry bulk side by the supply side which is sort of very uh, benign over the course of this year and the years to come. We're still seeing the sort of redrawing of global trade maps uh, for some sectors and on some routes. That's providing, again, a bit of an uplift above and beyond what you would see from headline cargo growth. 
moving forward, of course, the worry is is the global economy. And for things like the container ship sector, it is that sort of looming order book where we're already starting to see some of those ships hitting the water. So hopefully that sort of gives you a, a sort of a, a, an overview and uh, my colleagues will sort of dive into more details with regards to tankers, bulkers and container ships. Quite a sort of mixed bag of factors there, actually, and a, a lot of things that impact sort of the individual different sectors, which, are, as you said, I'm sure we'll be coming back to looking at those sectors. So thank you, Adam. I'd like to start this off by turning to the container ship sector with uh, Daniel Richards. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Marcus, for having us on again. Yeah, great to have you back. Container shipping's obviously come off from that enormous high that we had over the last couple of years. We've seen spot rates plunge. Now we come to the mid-year point. Uh, Daniel, perhaps you can tell our listeners whether you feel that the container markets have kind of stabilised now. I'd say tentatively yes for now. You've seen most market measures effectively trend sideways for a number of months now, certainly the spot rates. As you've said, the spot dollar per TU rates are now generally back down to where things were in sort of normal pre-pandemic markets. There are bright spots, so volumes and rates into the Mediterranean still are quite strong coming from the Far East. But yeah, so broadly, there's not been too much excitement and there hasn't been much more downward movement. But we're still seeing some further erosion of freight rate levels on some of the long-haul trades in the most recent data. There's been some volatility, or at least there was some volatility around the US West Coast labour dispute that led to a, a, a pretty short-lived and temporary spike in rates that's now come back off again. But yeah, broadly speaking, things have stabilised for now. And it does feel that the level at which spot rates have fallen to, for the moment, they're not going to fall much further. But there also doesn't seem like there's a particularly strong rebound around the corner. Okay, so you've had that sort of you know, almost you know, effectively hit bottom by the sounds of it for the, the spot rates. Now, obviously, we've been, had the sort of renegotiations of contracts, Asia Europe, and then more recently, the Trans-Pacific. Have we seen the full impact of that fall of spot rates into those contract rates? It doesn't feel quite yet, no. As you've said, a lot of contracts that were signed earlier in 2022 at very, very strong levels have now expired and new contracts have been signed. The initial evidence we have is that those obviously are at much lower levels, but overall average industry freight rates are still above where they were before 2020. So if you look at the preliminary results put out by OCL in Q2-23, their overall average freight rates were still about 18% above where they were in 2019. If you look at the kind of the, the global container pricing index put out by container trade statistics in may again that was around 20 percent above where we were in 2019 so that gap it feels like it's going to close a bit more but i said quite a lot of the pass through to contract rates has played out so far but it's probably not quite the full impact yet okay so so still kind of see probably that when we go forward to the sort of financial results for q3 q4 into next year pressure from the contract rates then? 
yeah, I would expect that average line company freight rates, they'll fall in Q2 relative to where they were in Q1, and there'll likely be a, a subsequent fall again in Q3 and Q4. At that point, maybe things are then starting to bottom out, but then that also then becomes a question of will market balances, will the supply-demand balance in the industry, how far will that deteriorate in the next sort of six to nine months going into the next several years, given the amount of tonnage that's now hitting the water? Yeah, which very much brings me on to my next question, actually, which was, I mean, we've seen, a, I think we saw a record volume of new building in terms of TU capacity delivered last month. What impact is this going to have on that whole demand supply balance? So, yeah, we've obviously known that this new wave of new vessel capacity hitting the water was going to arrive, but it really now is arriving in earnest. So you saw about 360,000 TEU of new ships being delivered in Q1. That jumped to close to 600 TEU in Q2. And so yeah, by the end of July, we're probably looking at the volume of new vessels hitting the water being equal to what we saw in the whole of last year. And this is not yet being really offset with much in the way of vessels scrapping. Only around 65,000 TU of vessels scrapped so far this year. So it's building up pressure on trade lanes, forcing liners to add additional capacity onto these trades at a time where trade has been middling to weak to downright dreadful in, in, on certain routes going into the US. So it's going to force liner companies to think about where they're putting their assets, what size of assets they need or ships they need. And it's going to lead to a period of probably quite prolonged oversupply in the container shipping industry. Yeah, you can sort of see that building up, can't you? Do you see any sort of like room for delaying these deliveries with shipyards? Or is this just kind of a ball that's set in motion and it's all going to happen? On the margins, yes, you can look at slipping deliveries into subsequent quarters, into subsequent years. Um, some of the yards are reportedly having some issues with getting enough skilled labour, which may provide something of an excuse to delay deliveries. But so far, the really big Mega Max 24,000 TU container ships, they're arriving at a pretty brisk rate at the moment. So, yeah, some, some deliveries will be slipped. A handful might end up being cancelled, or that hasn't been a particularly regular phenomenon with container shipping for the past sort of, 10 years. Scrapping will increase. I think it's going to reach sort of historically unprecedented levels, certainly next year and the year after, partly just because there's a, a larger available fleet that's at scrappable age. And there will be some efforts to offset oversupply with either slower sailing speeds um, that are at the same time potentially helping meet some of the new environmental regulations coming in, or as we've seen some carriers start to do, you just increase the number of weeks you're taking to sail on a particular trade lane. So you add buffer time into your schedules, you put in an additional port call. And at the time it's, take, it's taking you to do a round voyage sailing from the Far East to Northern Europe and back, if that goes up by a week, you're soaking up an additional ship there to keep that service running weekly, but you're not adding to the weekly sailing capacity available to shippers. So there are these offsetting supply levers that the carriers are going to be able to pull, but it's mostly going to be offsetting at the margin. And as you said, it is a ball that's now in motion and it is going to become a challenge 
for the industry in terms of that supply-demand balance weakening? So overall, it's going to be, realistically speaking, a fairly challenging second half of the year, would that be fair to say? It feels that way. You know, there's going to be seasonality and some degree of volatility in terms of freight rates. There's a scenario where, although the early indications aren't that great, if peak season volumes end up being a bit stronger than expected, you could see a a sort of seasonal rise in freight rates um, in Q3. I don't know if that's my base case expectation, but in general, you'll see some short-term volatility, but the overall outlook for the industry is getting weaker and certainly by the back end of this year, it does feel that markets are going to remain under pressure. be interesting to see how that all um, plays out over the, the coming few months. Thank you, Daniel. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. like to turn now to Plarman to talk about the tribal market. Plarman, welcome back. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for, for having us back. Uh, great. Uh, great to have you and get your insights on the tribal shipping market. Um, not being one of the best performing shipping markets in recent times, I think something that Adam alluded to in the introduction was that expect, you know, the, the the Chinese property market and expected sort of recovery from Chinese demand. How does this look for the second half of the year? Uh, you, are, you are absolutely right. Uh, it hasn't been one of the uh, uh, dry bulk shipping hasn't had one of its uh, best periods uh, so far this year. I think certainly, as you alluded to, there is some degree of expectations disappointment relative to the to the end of last year uh, at the beginning of this year when obviously with China coming out of COVID, putting in uh, some support measures for the property sector, hopes were, hopes were running high that, uh, that the dry bulk shipping would, uh, market would, uh, would perform well. As it happens, uh, the property market, uh, various measures, various measures uh, of uh, various indicators of the Chinese property market uh, have, have, have disappointed those expectations. In fact, they're running at below last year's levels. And last year, of course, was uh, was to some extent impacted by strict COVID restrictions and so on. So certainly, we have we have seen extreme weakness from that sector. Very topical, of course. Just yesterday, uh, earlier today, we had a we had some uh, some further announcements of, of policy stimulus, policy support measures for the Chinese property market. From what I understand, from what we understand, this is uh, for the time being simply an extension of those pre-existing support measures to the end of 24, rather than expiring it to, 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 the, to the end of, uh, at the end of 23. So question mark there about whether these would be sufficient to support the market from here on, which of course plays into what we can expect for Q3 and Q4. But fair to say that that, that aspect, that aspect of uh, of dry bulk demand, you know, Chinese Chinese uh, real estate development has been uh, has been a, a prime factor, a major factor for for the relative weakness of dry bulk shipping so far. I mean, just in terms of overall dry bulk demand, can you give our listeners an idea of just how much of that comes from China? 
the vast majority of uh, of the major trades of course is uh, is china focused those major trades of course being iron ore uh, where where easily more than uh, more than 50 60% of uh, overall flows uh, are accounted for uh, by China, uh, and more recently, in fact, uh, China has stepped back into the uh, coal market, thermal, thermal and coking coal market. So that is meaningful uh, as well. And then, of course, some of the minor, the uh, the minor, the minor bulk trades, bauxite, for example, and so on. Uh, these are these are very much China-centric uh, trades as well. So it, it is it is difficult to overemphasize. The impact of Chinese demand to the fortunes of uh, dry bulk. You alluded to that differential sentiment uh, among among different different uh, commodity markets, and I think you know this is a good place to to reflect on some of those and consider how how some of those commodities have have fared uh, in the first half of the year and potential implications for Q3 and Q4. So in terms of in terms of where where expectations were at the start of the year, most hopes were for for a recovery in the strong growth in in iron ore flows, supported by that by that property market recovery. In fact, you know iron ore flows um, has uh, is up uh, year on year, but very marginally so, um, and and this is because if we look at some some higher frequency indications of uh, of the local chinese steel market steel production for example we see we see extreme uh, extreme weakness uh, there uh, currently so so every month every, every month we uh, we have we have lower and lower numbers of chinese uh, steel production which which suggests to us that the there is a that there is a downtrend there uh, and we're certainly in a destocking cycle and of course these these restocking destocking cycles Will have amplifying effects over and above over and above uh, uh, fundamentals. So certainly, relatively disappointing iron ore market so far for dry bulk, uh, and into Q3, Q4, uh, don't expect this to get much better, uh, especially against very supportive, very very strong comparables at the end of last year. At the end of last year, we did see a pickup in iron ore flows into China specifically, on average of. Um, over 100 million tons uh, per month. Uh, this would imply a substantial lift in flows from what we see currently. And from what we have seen so far in terms of steel production, in terms of property market support, it is difficult It is difficult to envisage that, uh, that level of, um, of pickup from now. Okay, so that's very much uh, the sort of Chinese impact on the market, which is obviously very large, as you as you. As you said. Just looking at another factor that we see very much in the news, which is um, the Ukraine grain deal, um, which seems to have sort of essentially ground to a halt. Um, what impact would that have on dry bulk shipping? Uh, very good question. So the uncertainty uh, relating to the uh, renewal of that of that deal and the and the and from 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 what we have seen. More stringent inspections, uh, greater delays around inspections, uh, have already have uh, have already had some of that impact. So, so versus late last year, early this year, of around three and a half, four million tons on average uh, shipments, grain shipments out of Ukraine. Uh, for the last couple of months, we've only been averaging around one and a half, uh, one point seven million tons. 
So, so we have seen. So, arguably, we have seen a significant, a significant um, part of that 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 impact uh, already. This is not to say that an outright end to that to that facility to that program will not have uh, any further impact. Of course, it will, and especially because even if it is one and a half, two million tons a month, it is a relatively inefficient trade where uh, a vessel has to. Stopping for inspection once on the way in, a second time on the way out, relatively, relatively time-consuming. So, in, in terms of impact, yes, it will clearly have a negative impact, and especially, especially in, in the Black Sea Med region, where you can easily see an oversupply of vessels and, and, and vessels unwilling to ballast into that region. Okay, so that's a, that's another sort of negative potentially on the market. Just for our listeners to sort of get a sense of the whole. Looking forward Q3, Q4, are there any positive signs or is this kind of more of the same? Well, I think so much, so much rides on those larger trades, whether it is iron or whether it is coal, that we have to be focused on those for signs of support. Now, as, as I mentioned, at the moment, it is difficult to see upside on the iron off front, uh, especially compared to, to what we had last year. Uh, so I think um, I, I think we're likely to see relatively weak weak fundamentals from there, unless there are stronger signs of uh, of support to that all important property sector in China. On the uh, on the coal side, actually things have been fairly supportive. So so China has stepped has stepped back into the coal market uh, in a big way uh, over, during during March March to May. Um, they have had they have had record uh, amounts of uh, of coal imports at over 30 million tons uh, per month for the first time ever. Uh, so certainly a change from, uh, from, what, from what was there last year. Uh, a question mark, of course, is how much of that was driven by pure price, price incentives. We have, had, we have had very low gas pricing in Europe over the last few months uh, on the back of high inventories, uh, of course, reducing therefore coal demand. So coal has been available, has been cheaper, China, of course, had the experience of, of power outages last summer, so potentially a, a restocking drive there. How long would that last? That, of course, is a, uh, is a question to ponder, given that it was price-driven uh, and, and, and likely directed towards ensuring security of supply over the hotter, hotter summer months. Potentially, we are at the back end of that, of that restocking drive uh, on the coal side. So whether it's coal, whether it is iron ore, it is hard to see a strong indications of significant lift to trade flows, but of course, you know, the market does tend to surprise us, especially uh, if, if policy support, if policy support you know, come, be, becomes uh, important. Yes, I think that's something. One of the things about falling shipping markets, actually, they, they can always surprise us. Um, I know. On that note, I think we'll, we'll you know. Uh, see if we have any surprises coming uh, for Dry Bulk in the second half of 2023. Thank you, Plowman. I'd now like to turn to Tim Smith and uh, talk about the tanker market. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Marcus. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, um, great to have you back. And um, yeah, tanker market has uh, been an interesting one, um, pretty volatile, everything is fair to say, in the first half of the year. Is this set to continue in the second half? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a very interesting period. I mean, often is the case. We, I mean, I think volatile is pretty normal for, for the tanker sector. I think we've seen more of it than perhaps is normal. And really that volatility usually stems from uncertainty and disruption. And um, that, those are two things that the tanker market's seen in spades. Um, we, uh, as I say, I, I think, um, and that's been driven obviously by the aftermath of the invasion of Ukraine. It's also been driven by the fact that we've seen policy elsewhere uh, move quite drastically. So we've talked about China from the dry bulk perspective. For oil and tanker markets, we've seen the kind of release of the zero COVID policy in Q4. And obviously that's had a big impact on oil demand and particularly obviously transportation and mobility in China. So China's really come back in terms of a driver for oil demand. It's 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 normalized in that regard um, as it has been historically. Uh, so that's been a big policy shift we've seen, um, certainly impacting 2023. Uh, and and the other on the other side, we've also seen a lot of movement on the production side, particularly changes to uh, policy from OPEC Plus, uh, of which Russia is a part. But we've also seen kind of a, se- a series of rolling cuts in terms of production announcements from from that group, um, led by Saudi Arabia, which has also done some of its own independent cuts alongside the wider OPEC group. So we've seen a, a lot of these uh, policy decisions and wider disruption driving volatility in the market, and obviously a huge redistribution uh, of trade uh, as a consequence of the Russia invasion and, and sanctions thereafter too. So yeah, we, we will probably see volatility continue. I think where we, when we look at earnings, where it gets interesting um, and what, what hasn't been normal for the tanker sector has been how the relative segments within the market have performed. So last year, we saw really VLCCs, the largest part of the market in terms of ship size, really being suppressed by that China policy, weaker China oil demand and imports, whereas we saw some of the mid-sized crude markets uh, being very much supported by the disruption to trade flow and particularly elongation of trade of exports out of Russia. Similarly, in the product sector, we saw real strength in some of the smaller markets. So we saw a bit of a topsy-turvy market upside down in some regards in terms of those earnings. We're starting to see some normalization in that regard, but it's still not completely kind of back in terms of the relative distribution of earnings across the sector. So that's certainly something to be keeping an eye on. At MSI, we did expect tanker markets to moderate through the course of 2023. And we've certainly seen some of that. Adam mentioned at the start, some of that froth coming off the market. Q4 was really the high point in terms of spot markets. We've seen conditions generally move downwards across the first half of this year, um, certainly in terms of spot. And we've seen some of those time charter rates as well uh, easing off too. Um, So those have been some of the, the key um, features of the, the earnings, um, of the tanker market earnings across the first half of 2023. So some of that froth coming off, as you say. Uh, I mean, I think in the sort of when the tanker market went up very, very sort of fast early last year, you know, sanctions was a big, big factor into that. Is sanctions still a factor going forward or is that all sort of factored in now? Yeah, de- I mean, definitely. We are seeing a massive shift in terms of 
trade flow patterns. And so we talk about sanctions, we talk about policy. It's so key almost everywhere you look in terms of um, the tanker sector. And obviously, Europe's ban on seaborne oil imports from Russia, um, which took effect for crude in uh, Q4 last year and for products in Q1 23, has massively shifted global trade flows, both in terms of what Europe imports. Uh, so it's increased its crude imports from places like Africa, from North America, uh, from Middle East, uh, in order to substitute Russian crude, which obviously in both cases of crude and product were very short haul flows from Russia to Europe. Now those have become medium or long haul flows. It's also on the product side had to redistribute, resource imports from other regions. We've seen particularly the Middle East as well as other regions contributing to Europe's product inflows. And then vice versa, Russia has had to uh, move its crude exports and product exports to other regions further away. And it's actually kept, it's, it's actually been more stable in terms of the overall production export volumes than perhaps we'd expected. Um, but it's increased crude exports to Asia, particularly India has been a key destination for Russia crude exports. And more recently, we've seen the products map changing a lot. So Russian product exports moving to places like uh, Turkey, Middle East, North Africa, and increasingly further afield to Latin America and um, Asia as well. So the oil trade map has, has been uh, changed and disrupted, and that's driven a lot of that upside for the tanker sector. That is going to stay in place, I mean, unless we see some radical shift in geopolitical conditions, which we don't expect, we're going to see that stay in place. But there's going to be a limited runway, if you like, in terms of, you know, ongoing changes, ongoing upside from that distance component of demand. And meanwhile, we're seeing some of the volumes, if you like. So when you talk ton miles in shipping, we've got tons, the volumes of cargo, we've got the miles is how far they travel. We're going to see some of that volume side get eroded, certainly on the crude side from some of these cuts in production from OPEC+. Plus. So after a real surge in demand, um, certainly in 2022 and in 2023, some of that's going to ease off, we think. And that's going to relate into the tanker sector. Um, so... Second half of 23, as I said, we expected some moderation this year. We're seeing that continue through kind of Q3. Okay, so we are seeing that the moderation in the market. I think just one last question would be, we have seen some return, a bit more new building orders for some of the larger sizes of ships in recent months. Given that sort of moderation mark in the market, are we going to see more orders to come? We expect to, in the longer run, again, interesting feature of the tanker sector, perhaps certainly how it differs from containers. We talked about the supply side there. Tanker markets have seen very, very little ordering. Certainly last year was a, a real low point in terms of contracting. Um, so we don't have a, a big order book. In fact, we have the opposite. It's a, a very low order book, which means to some degree the market has, a, has an amount of protection from the supply side, if you like, uh, going forward. So even if demand does... Uh, slow down as we expect, the supply side looks very constructive. We have started to see orders come back, as you mentioned, uh, focused certainly on some of the areas in the product sector, so LR2s, and you might relate that into some of the, the trade flow changes we're seeing. There's a lot of refinery capacity coming on in the Middle East, which is likely in, in large parts to be export capacity, which those vessels may service. 
Um, but also we expect the contracting side to pick up because we, although we see some moderation in earnings, we still think tanker earnings are going to be relatively solid going forward. So we expect some of that to translate into more faith in terms of the longer term outlook for the sector. And also the fleet, the tanker fleet actually will need to see some renewal, some um, capacity come in because actually we see over the, the next few years, we expect the fleet to actually contract in terms of overall supply. So we do, uh, we think some of that demand is, is going to continue and we'll see new build, tanker new building contracting to, to continue to rise over the course of 24, 25. But overall, actually quite a positive picture in terms of the demand supply balance then. Yeah, definitely. I think we're, we're certainly, as I say, we're, we're kind of constructive on the longer term outlook. We do see some some shifts. It's certainly not going to be a straight line and things might ease off and it might be more so or more emphasis on that in, in certain parts of the market that might have seen some of the extreme upside. I'm talking maybe in the middle of the market, if you like, in terms of size ranges. But yeah, over the long term, it's a constructive outlook driven and supported by that supply side. Okay, great. Some, some good news there overall for the tanker market. <music> Lastly, I'd like to come back to Adam to talk about a market that's well, across all of those really, which is shipbuilding and um, we've just been talking about the, the tanker new builds as well. So Adam, we come to look at uh, shipbuilding you know, the new building orders had slowed last year, something I think we talked about in the podcast six months ago. Has new building orders continued to slow this year? Well, interesting enough, uh, it very much depends on what quarter you put under the microscope of this year. If we look at Q1 2023, uh, Q1 2023 recorded the most contracts that we'd seen in a single quarter since Q2 2022. The, the growth there or the volumes there were the, uh, the age-old favourites, container ships and LNG. Uh, there seems to be an insatiable appetite for ordering large container ships uh, and LNG, and that, that certainly uh, started the year off. Q2 uh, of this year, we did see a, a reduction in ordering volumes uh, for many sectors. Not LNG, I might add. We saw a very similar number of LNGs ordered in Q2. As we saw in Q1, around 20 ships, uh, fewer or less uh, container ships. Uh, but that's not to say that we, we expect the container ship contracting binge to, to stop. We do expect to see more uh, container ships ordered over the course of, of this year. And uh, we understand uh, that there are uh, some large orders still waiting in the wings to be ordered in the second half of 2023. As we've talked about tankers, that's certainly a sector that we're starting to see a pickup. As we've already mentioned, uh, that's coming from very low levels and is focused on a lot of the sort of LR2s and some of the sectors that uh, have been doing well recently. And, and as Tim explained, some of those that we expect to see doing well going forward, given the, the new sort of refineries that are coming on in places like the Middle East and uh, the Far East. I guess the, the one other interesting fact about uh, the shipbuilding market over the course of uh, 2023 already is that uh, half of all orders have gone to China, which China is sort of surpassing Korea 
almost on a regular basis now in terms of taking uh, volume on. But delivery dates are increasingly getting pushed out. So I think if you you want to order a, a large or a sophisticated vessel now, you're potentially going to be looking at a delivery date somewhere in 2026, if not 2027. So that, that is increasingly becoming an issue in terms of the timeliness of deliveries. And, and we, we think that that could also be putting off some potential orders that would be waiting in the wings otherwise. A couple of interesting points to pick up on, though, actually. Um, I think there was a bit of conventional wisdom towards the back end of last year that you know, so many container ships and LNG carriers had been ordered of larger sizes that there wasn't really much capacity left until like, you know, a sort of 2027 delivery kind of thing. But it sounds like that isn't putting people off. No. I mean, there, there's a few factors that, that would pe- put people off ordering tonnage at the minute. And we know that it is, having speak, speaking to some of our, our owner clients, uh, that, that longer delivery time, the sort of higher prices... And also the, the uncertainty when it comes to uh, new technologies and fuels, uh, that certainly hasn't been the case in the container ship market, as, as, as you rightly say, Marcus. And I think there's a number of reasons why that is. One is obviously because the container ship industry are, are sitting on rather large war chests and have done exceptionally well over the last few years and are sort of reinvesting in what they know best. They are, of course, closer to the end consumers, so there's lots of pressure on the container ship industry to sort of decarbonize quicker than perhaps we are seeing in the tanker and in the dry bulk sectors. Uh, we also have things like the European ETS that will be coming online over the course of the next few years. That will obviously hit a lot of those larger liner co- companies, or they will be affected by that potentially a lot more than a tramp owner that can potentially avoid coming into places like Europe. So it's not putting the container ship industry off. And I think on the LNG side, there just remains a lot of interest in LNG as a transitional fuel and with you know plans of regasification and increased volumes coming out of places like Qatar there's still the market at least perceives a demand for for new tonnage within the next sort of five years. Okay, so you've still got those demand factors there. Um, Another thing you mentioned there was that, you know, China sort of like now sort of taking that sort of 50% of the market on on a regular basis. We've actually seen, you know, the reactivation of yards in China, like what was formerly SGX Dalian is now Engli Heavy Industries. You know, are we going to see more yards sort of coming back to meet this demand? This is a, an interesting point, and it's one that uh, we've effectively been banging the drum on for, I guess, the last 10 years since we saw the mothballing of a lot of shipyards. We've always said that, you know, when the when the time is right, when uh, ordering volumes increase, when prices go up, we expect to see a lot of shipyard capacity come back online. It's rare that shipyard capacity gets bulldozed and totally disappears. It sits there. The physical capacity sits there and is just mothballed. And it can take around 6 to 12 months to reactivate. So we, we've recorded around 10 yards, we think, that have come back online over the course of the last year in some shape or form. Now, a lot of those yards aren't ramping up to sort of the sort of pre 
2020 sort of levels that we we saw them perform at, but uh, they are coming back along. Some some are sort of just dedicating themselves to block building rather than full vessel constructions. But I think the the interesting part about shipyard capacity at the moment, alongside the uh, the, the new yards coming online, is how little we've seen in terms of new orders going to the Japanese yards. Uh, Japanese capacity, we do think, is still underutilised. Only around 7% of all orders this year have gone to Japanese yards, and those have been mostly dry bulk orders, and generally dry bulk orders have been quite low this year. So there's still more capacity that could be bought in online in, in Japan. But more broadly, we think that we will continue to see shipyard capacity come online over the course of this decade. I think, as Tim alluded to, I know we've seen a lot of orders for container ship and LNG over the course of the last two, three years, but we will see significant orders for dry bulk and tankers as we sort of move into the second half of this decade, both from a a regulatory compliance perspective, but also there are a lot of ships that are now over 15 years old are scrapping candidates that will increasingly become either uneconomical to run or regulatory pressure will will force these vessels to be scrapped. So, yes, we do think there'll be more shipyard capacity to come back on stream over the course of the next two, three, four, five years. Okay, so that's kind of the longer-term picture and that need for that capacity and coming back on stream just to sort of round out the the shipbuilding and, and, and this episode. What would you see as, could you give our listeners an idea of what the outlook would be for the second half of the new building market? Yeah, I mean, as I alluded to in one of my previous answers, we do think there's more container ship orders to come. Uh, and I think a lot of these are waiting in the wings, have already been concluded, but uh, haven't been reported yet. So uh, we're actually forecasting some some significant volume to container ships be ordered in the second half of the year. Again, most of these will be dual fuel of some shape or form, whether that be methanol or ammonia or LNG. Uh, tanker orders will continue to increase compared to recent history. Uh, but as Tim also said, there's still this big disconnect between the, the earnings within the tanker industry and the volumes of contracting. Historically, they have been relatively well correlated uh, that correlation has broken down, and and we think that uh, that we do think there will be uh, an increase in orders in the second half of this year. Uh, interestingly enough, we're starting to see the first signs of offshore uh, vessels being ordered. That that's something that we've been monitoring quite closely. Uh, the offshore markets have been performing quite favourably over the course of the last twelve months or so, with a higher oil price environment. Uh, there are now owners within that space that are looking at offshore assets and ordering those. So we expect to see those begin to tick up. Not huge volumes, but to begin to tick up. But as I say, I think the new building prices are certainly putting some owners off ordering. We expect to see new building prices continue to be relatively high over the course of 2023 and into the start of 2024. In 2024, we expect to see new building prices uh, soften just because fundamentally we expect to see more vessels being delivered than are contracted. That then reduces yard forward cover 
and new building prices will fall consequently. So some significant numbers of, of vessels to be ordered for the rest of this year. We do expect to see something of a tail off into 2024 while the sort of industry adjusts to a new new building price environment and perhaps there's a bit more certainty when it comes to the alternative fuels for uh, dry bulk owners, for tanker owners to uh, really sort of enter into the new building markets with a, with a vengeance. Okay, great. So yeah, some more orders in the second half. Um, overall, quite a, a positive picture to uh, end this um, Outlook episode on. like to thank Maritime Strategies International and Adam, Daniel, Barbara and Tim. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners today. Thank you very much, Marcus. Thank you for having us back again. Thank you. And um, hopefully perhaps we can um, get together again in six months' time and have a look at where we're going and where we're going to be in 2024. And that's all we have time for on this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to being with you on the next episode.